Philemon is right before Hebrews. So if you can find Hebrews, uh, Philemon is one of those one-page books that are really hard to find in the New Testament. I want to wrap up this morning my series called Urgent, Urgent. We've been looking at all the four one-page letters of the New Testament. Each of them contain an urgent message a quality that we need to put into action. So I want to review. In the first week, we looked at 2 John. 2 John's urgent message was love. Remember that? Love. Love is the foundational doctrine of our Christian faith. Man, 1 Corinthians 13 talks a lot about that. We can do a lot of good stuff. We can have a lot of talents. We can have all the spiritual gifts. But if we don't have love, we are nothing. So that is the urgent message in 2 John, love. In week number two of this series, we looked at 3 John, and that message was influence. We need leadership. We need examples in our life to follow. And John says, choose the best ones possible. Be careful about who is influencing you. If Fox News or CNN has more influence on you than the Word of God and those that God has called into your life to help you spiritually, then you need to reevaluate that. Now, the third one-page letter that we looked at was last week, and it was the epistle of Jude. And remember, the word was responsibility. That's the other side of the influence coin. You can't always be passing the buck saying, well, the devil made me do it. Or I was influenced by this person or that person. You are responsible. I am responsible for what I think, how I act, what I believe, what I listen to. We are responsible. So those are the three one-letter epistles we've looked at and what we've learned, love influence and responsibility. Today we look at the fourth one-letter epistle. It's Philemon, and the urgent message today is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Philemon, like the three other letters or one-page books that we've looked at, is really a fascinating book. Its message is clear, but the details behind this particular letter present a challenge for us, for any biblical reader or any biblical scholar. I read one commentator who said, reading Philemon is like coming into a theater halfway through the movie. You don't know exactly what's going on. You watch it for a while, you catch part of the plot, and then you have to leave before the movie's over. See, Philemon is a personal letter between friends. It references details that we don't know about, and they're not clear in the Scripture. But the fact is, friends, we don't have to know all the details in order to pick up the message of the letter. And the message is we have an urgency for reconciliation. Philemon, we're going to read the entire book all 25 verses. Would you stand with me? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Alphea, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done wrong or if he has done you any wrong, or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefits from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow minister in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. Arterascus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Heavenly Father, in the time that we spend in your word, we ask that your spirit be our teacher. And if there's anybody in our life where we need to apply the ministry of reconciliation. Give us guidance through your word that we might be good followers of Jesus, welcoming people back into our lives with the same grace and mercy that you welcome us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Let me give you a quick backstory, okay? Quick version of the backstory. Because like I say, it's kind of a disjointed book in some ways. Onesimus was a slave who had become estranged from his owner. His owner was a friend of Paul's by the name of Philemon. Philemon lived in Classia, which we know is in modern-day Turkey. Onesimus eventually somehow ended up in Rome where Paul was imprisoned. 
We don't know if this slave had run away. Maybe he had been sent on a journey and decided this is my opportunity to go AWOL. We're not real sure. Either way, he ended up spending time with the apostle Paul. He had fled from Paul's friend, Philemon, who owned him. And Paul apparently led Onesimus to faith in Christ. I don't know how these two met. We don't know the details. But we do know that Paul did something about the fractured relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. And that's the urgent message for us today, the importance of reconciliation. And before I go any further, whenever the subject of slavery comes up in a biblical text, I think it's important that we address it. You know, you might say, well, why didn't Paul condemn slavery? Well, Paul was a man of his time. We have to transport ourselves, if we could, back 2,000 years. Paul was actually a man ahead of his time, if you really look at this thing. Just not 19 centuries ahead where we are now. Paul lived in a world where 40%, 40%, four out of every 10 people were slaves. Virtually the entire workforce of the apostolic day were slaves. So if a man owned a business, if they had people working for him, in most cases, those workers were either his sons, biological sons that he had put to work, or they were slaves. The whole world economy at this point was built on slave labor. I mean, even the most forward-thinking person in this day would not even begin to imagine a world without slavery. It wasn't a question at that point of human rights. It was a question of productivity. Without slaves, who's going to do the work? Paul knew that. You can't change things overnight. But Paul knew the equality of all people. And he introduced some ideas that were absolutely radical for his time. For instance, in other writings, Paul told owners to treat their slaves with gentleness and respect. That was radical thinking. In a culture where it was perfectly legal to beat a slave or even kill a slave, what does Paul do? He says, the Lord would tell you, don't even speak harshly to your slaves. Treat them well as if they were family. Man, that's radical thinking. I love a statement in the Fire Bible. It says, Paul defined Christian principles that removed the harshness of Roman slavery and shifted attention to godly character development among those involved. In Paul's time, this approach and these principles eventually led to the banishment of slavery within Christianity. So Paul was doing all he could in a culture that slaves were considered to be the lowest kind of human, Paul says, no, that's not right. We're all equal in Christ, slave or free, Gentile or Jew. He was saying things that nobody else was saying during this day. Believe me, if we would have been living in that time, Paul would have been considered 
on the cutting edge of the human rights movement, of social justice. Just the fact that he was trying to bring these two men, a slave owner, his friend Philemon, and the slave who had run away, Onesimus, back to reconciliation shows that Paul was not only in tune with God's heart, but he, Paul, was on the cutting edge. He was an advanced thinker. Common wisdom would say, a runaway slave, you know what to do with him? Get out the whip. Get out the cat of nine tails. Teach him a lesson. Make him an example of other slaves. But notice Paul does not have that attitude. He's got the heart of Jesus, and he says, Jesus loves you both. You're both equally important. Let's see if the Holy Spirit can help you navigate this and reconcile. Man, it's a wonderful book. The book of Philemon shows us that there's going to be times in our life where you and I have opportunity. <laughs> Actually, we have the obligation to stand in the gap between warring parties and try to bring them together in peace. That's why in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 12, it says, You, people of God, shall be called the repair of the breach. In NIV, it says the repair of the broken walls. It's a wonderful thing to be used of Christ to repair the breach between people who are at odds with one another. Instead of just using verbal ammunition to strike other people down, Try to build them up, their worth, their respect. Just as Tom shared, as we help people in the community to give them the dignity and the respect that they deserve. Treat them the way that God wants them treated. And one of the best things we can do is to bring people together who were once far apart. To help them resolve conflict. To restore right relationships. I know it doesn't always happen. I know it's a scary thing to navigate. But it's the urgent message of Philemon. I've got to be true to the word of God. I need to present this message. But I do think Paul shows us uh, how we can do it. Four guidelines. I surprised you, didn't I? You thought there was only going to be three. Four guidelines. To bring reconciliation. Number one, if you are called to be the repair of broken walls and try to reconcile, handle the situation with care. Man, don't go in there like a know-it-all with guns blazing. Man, a lot of commentaries I looked at noted how Paul's letter to Philemon is really a masterpiece of diplomacy. Notice he never criticizes Philemon. He writes about a difficult situation, and he does it with dignity, with sympathy, with affection. We don't hear that kind of stuff in our culture today. One scholar, his name's Don Guthrie, said, quote, This is one of the most subtle letters in the world history, an expression of Paul's um, ambassadorial style. Paul was diplomatic. And for reconciliation to take place, if God's calling you or me, you have to be an ambassador. 
either on your own behalf or on the behalf of somebody else. Notice Paul doesn't call Onesimus a loser. He doesn't call him a fugitive. He doesn't in any way disrespect him. Now, it's likely he was a fugitive. That probably would have been true. But fugitive slaves were in serious trouble in this culture. Man, they paid harsh consequences for running away. So Paul (laughs) treats it with gentleness and care and respect. It put Philemon in a difficult situation. Because if he was lenient with Onesimus, he had to think, what kind of, rela- what kind of messages that's going to send to my other slaves? Do I, I want them to think that if they run away, that there's not going to be any consequences? See, when you are trying to bring about reconciliation between two people, or maybe it's you, maybe you're one of the two, and you're trying to reconcile with someone else, be aware of the obstacles involved. Handle them carefully. If you want to be an agent of reconciliation, you need to put yourself in the other person's position. How do they feel about it? How do they see it? Because the way they see it is obviously different than the one that needs to be reconciled to. Try to find their point of view so that you can help them find restoration. And Paul takes this opportunity to reframe this situation for Philemon so that he can see good out of it. Notice he says, before that, let me tell you, that the name Onesimus, it means useful. That's what the name Onesimus means. So Paul makes a play on words. Now in verse number 11, we see he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And then he goes on in verses 15 and 16, and you can read that over. Uh, but Paul was handling this situation with great care, trying to help Philemon develop a different perspective on the situation so that Philemon could make a decision with a clear head and a heart that was aligned with Jesus. Be sympathetic. Don't just go in there thinking this is the way it's got to be and this is the way it... No. You know, there's multi-perspectives to any one situation. Be sensitive. Handle it with care. Second thing I see here, help both parties come to their own decision. Don't force it. Don't force it. Help both parties come to their own decision to do the right thing. You can't make a decision for somebody else. We learned that last week in the book of Jude. We're responsible for ourselves. Remember when you're in grade school and you get a, maybe a little scuffle on the playground? Get sent to the principal's office? Maybe never. No, you guys probably never got sent to the principal's office. And often the principal would say, okay, boys, now shake hands and be friends again. And maybe works for second graders. But I've seen people do that. Tell their teenagers, oh, just kiss and make up. It's not that easy. Now, maybe 
Because you're in a position of authority, you can strong arm kids to being friends again. But it's got to come from the heart. That strategy does not work on grown-ups. You can't force people to reconcile. You can only lay out the options and give them the opportunity to do the Christ-like thing. And that's what Paul's saying here. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ, I, Paul, could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. See, Paul knew that he was able to do that. And he wanted to remind Philemon that he had that power to order him to do something. Yet, Paul says, no, I know you have to come to that conclusion. So I appeal to you on the basis of love. And then he says in verse 14, I don't want to do anything without your consent. Isn't that amazing? Paul was taking a submissive position, preferring his brother. I don't want to do anything without your consent, your permission. It shows how we as a body of Christ need to prefer one another. Now he's talking here about the possibility we know of Onesimus could stay with Paul and assist him while he's in prison. But he says, hey, but I recognize Philemon, you still have rightful ownership of this young kid because he's your slave. <laughs> so I don't want to do that without your consent. So that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. That's the way Jesus operates. He doesn't want to force us to do anything. That's true even of giving. As we look at Corinthians, we give because we choose to give, not because we feel obligated to give. So Paul gives Philemon a pretty strong hint about what he should do, right? <laughs> I mean, Philemon knows where Paul stands on this, but nevertheless, he left the ball in Philemon's court, and the final decision was up to him. And it's the same when you and I are personally trying to reconcile with someone else. Maybe it's a family member. The Bible says in Romans, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. You can go to them and say, hey, I want to make things right between us. But you know, the final decision's up to them. It takes two people to reconcile. You can't do it by yourself. You can only do your best to create an atmosphere where reconciliation is possible. After that, everyone else makes their own decision. Okay, the third thing I want you to see here, if you want to be a repairer of the broken walls, you've got to be willing to give of yourself. I want to read verses 18 and 19 again. If he's done you any wrong, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. You know, Paul had to get a little jab in there, right? It's interesting. I think if I would have been writing this letter, I would have said, you know, 
Philemon, you should just forgive him of those debts. Just as Jesus has forgiven you and given you grace, you should give this man grace too. But it's interesting, Paul didn't do that. He says, I realize that he owes you, but I'll pay whatever he owes you. You've got to be willing to give of yourself. See, there's a difference between meddling and peacemaking. Meddlers, and sometimes we're all guilty, we stand on the outside and we tell people what they should do. (laughs) That's meddling, right? Peacemakers get on the inside and get involved. You know, we've all heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is. And that's exactly what Paul was doing here. He wasn't just dispensing advice. He was being an actual agent of reconciliation. He cared enough about these two men that he was willing to spend his own money to see them reconciled. Man, Lord, help us to have that kind of heart. That's tough stuff. We can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Are we willing to do that? Are you willing to invest your own resources, your own energy, your own time to see two people come together or to be reconciled with somebody? Are you willing to do that in conflicts that you've had? See, reconciliation comes with a price. Why has God forgiven us? Why has God accepted us into his family? We were reconciled with God the price of Jesus Christ who went to the cross, ransomed us. We are reconciled with God because of Jesus. Sometimes you and I need to be willing to be that person who will help others be reconciled. Reconciliation comes with a price. The Bible says even though we were God's enemies... (laughs) We were rebellious. We were selfish, separated from sin or by by sin. Yet we're reconciled through the death of Jesus. And Jesus was willing to stand in the gap, just like here Paul is willing to stand in the gap between Philemon, his friend, and Onesimus, the runaway slave. And sometimes to a much lesser extent, I get that, but you and I are called to stand in the gap. And it's not a fun place to be, to be standing in the gap between two people who are at odds with one another. But if the Holy Spirit calls us, again, you don't want to just jump in and start meddling. But if the Holy Spirit calls you to be the repairer of the breach, you have to be willing to sacrifice part of yourself to make that reconciliation possible. That might be really simple. Take them out to coffee and mediate a conversation. Help them see the other person's side. It may be paying a debt. It may involve a long-term commitment. You know, I don't know. There's sacrifice to be made, but friends, it's worth it. That's why Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, an area of the scripture we call the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the peacemakers those willing to step in as Paul did, for they should be called the children of God.
the fourth and final thing that we can take out of this one page epistle is that you need to follow up on their progress. Notice in verse 22, he says, oh, one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Now, we've seen that consistently throughout this series. Face-to-face is the ideal that we all should achieve for. It's great to email people. It's great to text people. But all through this, we've seen that Paul has said, no, authentic community means that you're together. And Paul's saying here, remember he, he, he wrote his letter from prison in Rome, might have been house arrest, but in this situation, you know, it didn't matter. He was chained and he had two Roman guards by him. We know that he was able to receive some visitors and write letters and conduct ministry to some extent, but he wasn't able to come and go as he pleased. But he knew that someday he would be released. And when that day came, his plan was to make the journey, remember, from Rome to Colossia. You know how far that is? That's almost 1,000 miles. We're not talking about, you know, just going out to Kashmir, running out to Malaga. We're talking about something that was pretty serious here. But he said... I'm planning to come. Make room for me. He was, I think, in essence, in this brief letter, he was saying this brief letter really doesn't end my connection with either you or Onesimus and this situation. I'm planning to follow through. I plan to come and spend time with you. Because here's something that we have to remember. Reconciliation is a process. It's a process. Because there's so many feelings involved, so much pain involved, so much confusion involved. It's like, you know, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we know instantly we're saved. We're born again. That's the evangelical term for it. We're right with God. But that doesn't mean that automatically our behavior changes. That's what in the church we call sanctification. We become more and more like Jesus. We move from a baby to a toddler to a teenager to an adult. And the same thing with reconciliation. It's not an instantaneous thing. It takes time to achieve. So don't be discouraged. Sometimes people take a couple steps in the direction of reconciliation. And then they falter. (laughs) They get scared. They don't think the risk is worth it. Because if your heart's been broken multiple times, it's really hard to walk back into a relationship. And there are times, friends, and we've talked about this in the past, there are times that you need to create boundaries and people you shouldn't let back into your life. That's not what I'm talking about here today. I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit shows you and me, you need to be part of a reconciliation process. It's a process. There needs to be follow-up. There needs to be accountability. If you've helped, you know, people to mend a fence or restore a broken relationship, keep walking with them. Don't just say, oh, that's wonderful, and then abandon them. (laughs) And don't, you know, in an intrusive way, 
continue to meddle or be there. I'm just saying that we need to be there to support one another. That's what the body of Christ is all about. If you've experienced reconciliation with someone, follow through on that. To whatever degree is appropriate. Check on them. Give them a call. Spend time with them. Again, reconciliation is not a one-and-done deal, an event, one-and-done event. It's a process. It takes time. Paul said in another letter he wrote, it's the second letter to Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 18, that you and I, as members of his body, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In fact, I think we should take time to read that. Boy, we've gone over, so what's another few minutes, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, because this really is important. Some of you might think, oh, this is a great sermon for somebody who's called to this, but I sure don't want to be involved in this. Well, no, listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Guess what? You've got the ministry of reconciliation. Now, there's twofold meaning there because one is to help people reconcile with God through faith in Jesus. But it's also to help people reconcile with one another. Paul said we should be eager, eager to maintain the bond of unity. Are we eager? Or is it easier just to tear down the church that's growing that we're jealous about? Is it easier just to badmouth that person who's on the wrong side of the political aisle? It says we should be eager to maintain the body of unity. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, just a rich scripture, it says, let the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts as members of one body, you were called to peace. Friends, God wants his people to live together in unity. Doesn't matter where they might be worshiping. Doesn't matter that their doctrinal statement might be a little bit different than ours. Doesn't matter that they might belong to another political party. If they're a brother and sister in the Lord, God wants us to live together in unity, in harmony, in peace. And unfortunately, the simple truth is sometimes we don't. It's much easier to surround ourselves with people of like thought. And just write off the other people as being wrong or even worse, to demonize them. Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Enter the situation carefully. Offer guidance gently. <laughs> Encourage both parties to make their own decision. Don't force it. And if you do it not by meddling, but by offering genuine, sacrificial involvement 
And if you stay involved in the follow-up and accountability, you will help people experience the wonderful joy of reconciliation. And you can say, as a follower of Christ, I have been used to be the repairer of the breach. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you sent Christ to reconcile us. And you've called us, Lord, to be men and women, boys and girls, Democrats and Republicans, old and young, rich and poor. You've just called us as a body of Christ to the ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, I trust you that you're going to apply this message to each of our lives and our hearts where we're at. Maybe we need to reconcile with someone. Maybe we have family members who need to be reconciled to one another. And we can be that third party to bring unity back to that family. And Lord, particularly in the body of Christ, in such a polarized time, where sharp words and mudslinging and tearing people down seem to be the norm. <laughs> I pray, God, that we will stand above all that and that we will be true to your word. You called us to peace. You called us to build each other up. You called us to be reconcilers. So God, I pray you'll give us the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what other people do, to stand upon your word, rely upon your spirit, and be peacemakers in the day in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen.